A week ago, I was invited to participate in a reading of a new translation of Uncle Vanya. It was really my first experience with Chekhov, I have to say, other than seeing bad college productions. Um, and I'm here today with the translator of this version of Uncle Vanya, Alexander Gelman, who is a director and a translator and a scholar and not a bad actor, too, in the right role, if I remember correctly. Um, and so my first question for you, Alex, is why do we not see great high school and college productions of Uncle Vanya? Well, Uncle Vanya is a play for middle-aged people. It's a kind of a reckoning that you don't quite get until you get there. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 15th year, number 765, Translating Uncle Vanya. Alexander Gelman is the outgoing director of the School of Theater and Dance at Northern Illinois University. Alex and I were in the MFA directing program at Boston University, and in his 40-year professional career, Alex has directed and translated a number of plays from Russian to English, as well as working at theaters that include American Repertory Theater, Arena Stage, Chicago Lyric Opera, Hartford Stage, The Acting Company, and the New York Shakespeare Festival. It was a real privilege to be part of the first reading of his translation of Uncle Vanya, and even more fun to talk about how it went, how it's going, and what happens next. Uh, I suppose if, the, if this were reduced to a t-shirt, it would say, is that all there is? Um, I believe there's a song that goes along with that. I believe line. there is. <laughs> and, and so I, I think in a lot of ways, it's, you know, I've, I've uh, used uh, Chekhov plays in teaching, acting, and directing for years but never Uncle Vanya for, for that reason. And is, is it, um, the, my, the conventional wisdom as I understand it is that Chekhov is supposed to be funny and he rarely is on stage. Am I right about that? Yes, the simple, the simple answer is yes. The tricky part is what kind of funny. Um, and I think there are people who have over the years attempted to follow that particular dictum and turn it into various kinds of farce. And that doesn't work either. No. The kind of funny that Chekhov is, is um, the, the kind you sort of wonder about on your deathbed, you know, where everything that mattered goes away and what remains is the basic foundational truth, which inherently is funny. Yeah. It's just, it just is. There is a marvelous play by Peter Barnes called Laughter, which is based on the notion that some things can be so horrendous, so horrifying, that all they can elicit is laughter. And the last scene in the play is a scene between two vaudevillians performing their act for the last time, and we gradually realize that it's actually in the gas chamber. Oh. And, and one of the last lines is, you know what? This act is dying on its feet. And, and now that's not Chekhov humor, that particular example, but that sort of profound recognition of, of all the darkness that we have 
in the world, uh, all the sharp edges, takes you to a place where you can only find them funny. Well, yeah, and I, and I mean, I always believe that the greatest comedy derives from the most serious of situations, you know. And and as you observed uh, in your chat with us to the cast, um, you know, Chekhov invented, invented, popularized the idea that we all die, we all die, and it's silly to pretend that we don't. And why are we not talking about it? Yeah. And and the ways in which ultimately, whether we consciously recognize it or not, that is what dictates our choices. Yeah. So That's how we make decisions about how we're going to live what's given to us. So when so this was a this was a what I call a B union, a reunion <laughs> of, of, of many of us from Boston University uh, actors and you and I were in the in the grad MFA program. Um, uh, and it was it was wonderful. Uh, it was was th was this the excuse for you to translate Vanya? Because I know you've done the other three of the big four. Yeah, excuses. Yeah, uh, what happened was I got a call from one of our classmates saying, you know, a bunch of us want to get together for a reading, and we thought of Chekhov, and I thought I'd call you and see if you have Vanya. And I said I don't, but give me a few weeks, which turned into a couple of months, but. Uh, it, it, it did get done, and yeah, now I have all four. And what uh, is it for you? Why? I mean, you were born in Russia. You are fluent in the language. What do? What? Where do other translations fall down for you? I mean, are there other translations that exist that you go, boy, that guy Tom Stoppard nailed it, or or Michael Frayn nailed it, or Aaron Posner nailed it i mean how do you where do you find your voice in translating Chekhov in ways that others haven't you know i am not going to presume to point to anybody uh failing uh and there are bits and pieces where the nailing of it is is glorious <laughs> but what it really comes down to it's the same reason that you know as a fellow director i know you will understand if you're going to tackle a great play as a director, do you ask yourself, why am I, why do I bother? Peter Brook has already done this. Yeah. And the reason you do it is because you do it for the audience, for the moment, you know, right now with these people, for these people, and so on. And if you're doing a Chekhov and Russian is the language in your, um, in your uh, quiver, uh, then the interpretation begins with the translation. Uh, in fact, isn't that this is aren't those words interchangeable? If you do simultaneous translation, that's being an interpreter. Right. Um, and so uh, it, it always felt to me that I could, uh, you know, I could I, I could help myself in the directing of a play by translating it first. There's another part to it, uh, and again, I'm going to make some assumptions about your practice, but. Isn't facing a blank page one of the most painful things ever? <laughs> well, I got to sit down and write a play by Anton Chekhov. There's still worse ways to, to live your life than to write Chekhov plays. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, there's there's nothing like the feeling of having written something, and there's equally nothing <laughs> as painful as 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 actually sitting down and writing that um, something. Um, no, I know it, it's it's you know really do we see need to see another actor play Hamlet? Well, 
sure i don't need to see some actors but i'd love to see that guy yeah i, I wouldn't mind seeing ian mckellen's 86 year old hamlet um, see that's exactly right it's, it's because it's ian mckellen I, you know there's there's no version of any shakespeare play that i wouldn't want to i'd love to see him play lady m <laughs> yes fair. and he probably would do it like a panto dame that's right that's right <laughs> i would love to see that well but it felt like your translation and again i have almost zero experience with Chekhov, but your translation felt um uh, a, a literal and and um not colloquial uh over much and not contemporized and um I, I, prosaic but i don't mean that in a qualitative way it wasn't you were talking about translation sometimes that want to poeticize Chekhov, and that is maybe against Chekhov's own impulses yeah he's uh it's it's important to keep in mind that he's not celebrating the people he's writing about okay and except in the sense that he's except in the sense that he sees them as worthy of dramatization of documentation thank you documentation. Um, there, there's a story about uh him writing a um a short story about horse thieves and uh, sending it to his regular publisher who blew up in response saying, this is a detailed description and at no point do you point a finger at the evil that is stealing. And let's not forget that stealing a horse in 19th century rural Russia was not unlike stealing a horse in the wild west. It's livelihood and it, it could be tantamount to murder. Yeah. And Chekhov's response, and he was famously uninterested in explaining any of his work, just like Beckett, who followed him, and Pinter, and so on. And he uh, he responded to this one, and he said, it's not my job to teach anybody anything. My job is to document the truth in clinical detail. Clinical detail, says Dr. Chekhov. <laughs> and 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 I think in a lot of ways the notion of worthy of dramatization I would say worthy of telling. Um, but you know, as a fellow storyteller, you will tell a story about somebody who is amusing to you or who is uh, challenging your imagination in some fashion, not necessarily equal to whom you admire, right? Or whose plight is is of significance to you except in that instance, in that moment. And so he, um, if, you, if we were to find one word that appears in all of his plays, it's philosophizing. And his, there are characters in all of his plays who A, engage in it, and B, comment on the activity. And I am less than convinced that he's a fan of the practice or of the people who engage in it. Um, there is a, there, there's a marvelous simplicity in his expression, his own expression in letters and diaries and some of his other writing that many of his characters do not participate in. And, and so um, when what happens is that in an effort to ennoble some of his characters who philosophize, some translators or adapters engage in trying to give it a poetic flair or a kind of a, a, yeah, let's just leave it at that. 
And and Chekhov was brilliant at playing with banalities. He had people say really trite things because it's not what they said that mattered. It's why they said it in the moment, which in turn betrays all sorts of fascinating encounters and, and, and really rich humanity underneath it all, which is, you know, which is what we refer to as small talk. There's no such thing as small talk. Right. We communicate, as Pinter pointed out, to hide. We speak in order to hide, not, not to actually connect. Yeah. Speech is not, you know, words are not good for communicating. <laughs> um, and, and, and there is poetry in the prosaic also. Yes. Um, yeah. There's a, there's a line, he, he kind of, there, there's a, I totally forgot when I started the translation that he, that he used that line in the play. There's a, he uses a line in the play and gives it to Vanya himself to say, that is actually a product of a of a letter that he wrote to somebody else, obviously in his own words, which is, "What a lovely day! I don't know whether to have a cup of tea or hang myself." <laughs> and I, I don't know. I see poetry in that, and I also see that it has nothing to do with a cup of tea or suicide. Right. And right. yet, those are the words that he speaks. And so, that's the brilliance of, of the writing, and that's the extraordinary insight. Hi, this is Hallie DeVestern of the Hallie DeVestern Band, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? We are still the remote Shakespeare Company, but I can share with you now our next round of performance dates, which begin this November 20th, 2021, with a performance of Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel at the Jasper Arts Center in Jasper, Indiana. Then in January 22nd, we'll do four performances of Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel, two on January 19th and 20th, 2022, at the Wharton Center at Michigan State University, then one on January 21st at Hillsdale College in Michigan, then on January 3rd, just down the road in Rolla, Missouri. Then in February, we'll We'll do two performances of the complete history of comedy abridged in Reading, Pennsylvania on February 11th and at the Majestic Theater in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania on February 12th. Then we'll be back to Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel in April, giving one performance at Washington and Jefferson College in Washington, Pennsylvania on April 20th. And then finally, on April 24th, returning to Reston, Virginia, almost exactly two years late to give two performances there of Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel. You can check out our Facebook and Twitter feeds for the latest information. But as always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office, venue, and ticket information. Now back to my conversation with director and translator Alexander Gelman talking about his translation of Uncle Vanya. So we had the reading a week ago, and aside from the joy of seeing uh, our old friends, all of whom are so talented and so beautifully, perfectly cast in these roles, um, what do you learn as, as the translator, adapter, that that helps you in the next stage of the process of this version of the script. What works? You know, you learn what works. It's um, there is a. I, I've long believed that great plays don't read well because boy, then I then I've written a bunch of really great plays, <laughs> and that is why I'm such a fan. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I, I think what it comes down to is the plays, if they're really plays, they're not meant to be fully alive until actors speak the words to the audience and each other. Well, if you were able to get everything you want out of the play by sitting down with your single malt in front of a fireplace uh, and get through it and be totally happy about it, then it doesn't really need them of the other thing, does it? Uh, and so... Uh, while I'm translating, I will occasionally intone some of the text that, that the characters are speaking. I don't know how it sings. Edward Albee said once, I'm sure more than once, uh, that writing plays is more akin to writing music than it is to writing novels. Mm, yeah. And and I think there's a rhythmic quality. There's a... Um, what is that Neil Simon thing? K's, words with K's are funny. P's, P's not so funny. K's, K's are hysterical. Um, and, and I think, interesting that play comes to mind. Um, and, and, and there is a, uh, there's an element to that in this work is, is the trying to see it. There's another example. Um, I have an absolute favorite little known in the, in, in the West, uh, Polish absurdist playwright, Slavon Mrozik. If you read his plays by yourself in, in the scene I described with the scotch and the fireplace, many of them start reading like rather verbose philosophical treatises. Yeah. And when you sit around the table for the first full reading with the cast, it is astounding how it starts popping. And that's in translation. That's not even in its original Polish, which is not a language I have. So I, this is these things. You just don't know what you have until different voices speak it and and tell you exactly what you got wrong. Tell you exactly what you know where where you want to help with rhythm. There's a line, for instance, a joke. It's it's a kind of a joke that a character makes where he says, "I have a long mustache but short on wit." And there's clearly a juxtaposition between long and short yeah. and mustache and, and wit. And I played with that sentence forever, and what I rendered just doesn't work. So I'm going to have to go and, and tinker with that bad boy. Any suggestions will be welcome, sir. Um, well, that's interesting. That that yes, you what that you you translate the text into text, and then the actors translate that your text into behavior. And relationships and situations, and so there is an there's an an additional element of translation going on because I I didn't know I mean I this was a, such a cold read I read the the part of the professor which I think I'm still too young for but nonetheless um, um and I read my lines just in my head and but reading them out loud gave them meaning reading them out loud with my fellow actors gave them meaning in a way that even just reading them to myself you know, didn't. And I suppose even if I ran it for several months, <laughs> I would be discovering new meanings. And, 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 you know, in that particular case, I was gratified to see that, that you owned the pomposity more and more as you went forward in his choice of language. And there's a really stupid joke that, I don't know why I'm, I'm on jokes, a stupid jokes that he makes, joke that he makes at the beginning of a speech that is absolutely horrifying. And he says, I'd like for you to hang your ears on the peg of attention. Yeah. What a ludicrous thing. That, that line I'm pretty happy with. This I love that say, line. I think there's also an inserted, so to speak. It's like, who speaks that way? And why is that, why is that bit yeah. of, 
one of the best directions I ever received was from the actor turned director James Whitmore Jr., son of the actor James Whitmore, mm -hmm. who's uh, directing me in an episode of Providence, the TV show. Uh, Mr. Tishner, would it uh, shred your envelope of truth to hold the piece of paper just this much higher so it could be the frame? I went, my envelope of truth, yes. I think I can do that. Yes, thank you. You know, actor to actor. <laughs> That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Comedy Podcast. Send us your translations and interpretations via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can also find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSE Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow Alex on Twitter too at AG Director Plays. And you can follow me on Twitter, too, at Austin Titchener. And I hope you'll check out my new website, The Shakespeareans. There you can find out more information on how I can help you with monologues, presentations, or writing projects. Check out theshakespeareans.com and my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Austin Titchener. Thanks, as always, to depressed landowner Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and GarageBand. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Amy Liberta. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Hallie DeVestern of the Hallie DeVestern Band, whose album Money Ain't Time, which you're listening to now, has just been nominated for Best Live Blues Album from Blues Blast magazine. Hallie is also a Boston University grad who participated in the reading of Alex Gelman's Uncle Vanya, and you can vote for her album for Best Live Album by going to bluesblastmagazine.com vote. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please stay safe, get vaccinated, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 765 2295ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. Time. Money ain't time. And I know why you're on jokes, because, you know, despite this very serious conversation we're having about um, uh, 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 Chekhov, you're a you're a you're a very funny person <laughs> and you were outstanding in my production of Chapter Two as the as the funny brother. And so I was only disappointed that that uh, your translation didn't have more uh, fart jokes and, and finger pokes because I, I expect that from you. But maybe I know you in a way that others don't. Well, and and I, I was holding hands with Anton, um, not Neil. So there's there's a bit of there's a slight bit of responsibility there. I I felt I had. Podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company, reducing expectations since 1981. Go to reduceshakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less.